Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That is Proverbs 28. One guys, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Leave a positive five-star review and rating if you've not done so already. And here's the other thing. Guys have this horrible habit, I talk about this all the time, of finding something awesome and then keeping it to themselves. It could be a band, it could be a movie, it could be, you know, tools, something that they've figured out that's awesome. And then they don't evangelize it. So guys, I'm asking you not only to evangelize for the love of Christ, but also evangelize for the love of this show. If you like this show, don't keep it a secret share it around with the guys in your life. And guys, just like you, I am still waiting on the Dobbs decision. Okay. So I was in DC uh, last week and I thought the Dobbs decision was coming down. We thought it was coming down this week, but guys, it's pretty, it pretty much has to come out next week. Okay. No one's really expecting them to go into July. So it looks like now they're going to release the decision as close to the end of their term as possible. So basically they can drop the bomb and get the hell out of there. And so that seems to be the case. As soon as the case drops, as soon as the case drops, I will give you immediate reaction right after it drops, probably same day if I can make it work. And then we'll get into some other stuff. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up on the show. I mean, if we just release the interviews we have now, we'd have interviews through like September. And some of the people that we have coming on here soon, I'm really, really excited about. I know you guys are going to like it. But in today's episode, in the quick hitters segment, we're going to discuss co-president Biden falling off of his bike when he wasn't moving, <laughs> why Pixar's new Toy Story Universe film Lightyear flopped at the box office, the world's governing body for the sport of swimming banning biological males from competing against biological females, or did they? And then the World Health Organization deciding to investigate whether COVID-19 escaped from a lab in Wuhan, China, albeit a couple of years too late. But obviously, we need to talk about the breaking news this week, which shed more light on what like what in the hell actually happened at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas about a month ago when a lone gunman systematically murdered 19 elementary age children and two teachers. Okay. So right from the beginning, I need to set the stage for my comments. Okay. Just because I named today's episode, Uvalde police officers are cowards and liars. Obviously doesn't mean that I think all Uvalde law enforcement officers are cowards and liars. I mean, come on, obviously I'm not saying that. I'm also not implying that all or most law enforcement officers around our great country are cowards and liars. Because here's the thing, guys, I generally back the blue to a degree and I give them more of a benefit of the doubt in most situations because how impossibly hard their job is. So when there's a shooting that's under crazy circumstances and we don't have all the evidence yet, history would tell me that it typically works out in the favor where, yes, the person was doing criminal, you know, type stuff. And then the police officer got in there and then, you know, it, it escalated and that person ended up getting shot. That's how it almost always works out. So I generally give the, the, the blue an unbelievable amount of respect, respect and latitude. I've never had problems with police officers in my own personal life. Yeah. I've had some douchebag police officers pull me over and things like that, but it's just, just kind of how it is some of those times, but I back the blue. But to ignore instances where cowardly, slimy, dangerous, awful law enforcement officers exist and do things that hurt the general populace is to ignore the obvious, okay? Because law enforcement officers in the United States of America are not a homogenous group of villains hunting black people. We obviously know that. But they're also not a homogenous group of heroes, okay? 
There are some unbelievably heroic police officers. I just shared a video on our Instagram today. I'm recording this a couple of days before it comes out of a very heroic thing that a police officer did. And every time I come across something like that, I like it. I share it. I, I try to get that out there because of the bad rap a lot of police officers are getting for stuff that is not really against them, right? You know, we have this attack on police officers, especially when St. George Floyd died while in police custody a couple of years back. You know, we're all looking askant at these police officers. And it's like, they're, these guys are just trying to get home, uh, you know, after a hard day at work. But a lot of these guys signed up to give their lives to the community if it's so called for. Okay. But also, and we'll get more into that here in a second, obviously. The main villain of this whole Uvalde shooting thing is still and will forever be Salvador Ramos. Okay. That's probably the last time I'll use his name in this show. But he's the villain. He is the main villain. He is the one who is primarily responsible. For all of those kids, 19 school-aged children and two teachers being systematically murdered. But he's not the only villain. Okay? So let's get into what we learned this week about the situation in Uvalde. So on Tuesday of this week, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, a guy named Steve McCraw, did a press conference detailing the just absolute abject failure on the ground that occurred during this massacre that actually allowed this massacre to take place. So he started his comments at the press conference this way, quote, there's compelling evidence that the law enforcement response to the attack in Robb Elementary School was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre, unquote. Well, he actually continued here, quote, three minutes after the subject entered the West Building, there was a sufficient number of armed officers wearing body armor to isolate, distract and neutralize the subject. The only thing stopping the hallway of dedicated officers from entering room 111 and room 112 was the on-scene commander who decided to place the lives of the officers before the lives of the children, unquote. So guys, within three minutes, again, because you may miss it there because I read a long quote, within three minutes, the gunman could have been taken out. They had the amount of officers they would have needed to get this guy out of that situation in three effing minutes, three minutes. Okay. Not an hour and a half, three minutes. Okay. Also, you remember Uvalde PD officials saying that they had to wait for a key to get into the room, right? And all of us kind of looked at it like, you know, why would they need to wait for a key? Did they not have a way to get in? You know, this is crazy. They waited for over an hour before they went into the room. What's going on? And it took, you know, these brave border patrol officers that were off duty to come in there and, and do the thing. Well, lo and behold, that was a complete lie. Okay, because McGraw continued his comments by revealing that the door to the classroom, I couldn't believe this. Like, I got to pause for just a second. When I heard this, I was like, surely this is just some sort of a made up Twitter thing because this can't be possible. There's no way that this is possible. But McGraw continued his comments by revealing that the door to the classroom where the shooter was, was unlocked the entire time. The door was unlocked. There was some sort of a thing that malfunctioned where, you know, the door couldn't be locked and apparently the, the door couldn't be locked from the inside, right? So the door was completely unlocked. So what does that tell us? That tells us that these officers that were inside of that building, in the hallway, didn't even try the handle. These SOBs didn't even try the handle of the room where they could hear children screaming and crying and begging for their lives. They didn't even try the handle. They didn't even try it. I mean, I, there's almost no words for this, okay? There's almost no words to describe how unbelievably 
ridiculous that is. And also another lie was that the officers didn't have door breaching tools. Now remember, they didn't even need these door breaching tools because the door was completely effing unlocked, but they had tools with them, okay? They had a, a tool called a halligan, which is kind of like a, pro, a crowbar, right? So they did have the tools to breach the door immediately. So let's say the kid had gone in there, closed the door and locked it. They had the ability to pry that door open and take him out. They had the ability. They chose not to do it. Also, we have still pictures and we have video of these officers with rifles and body armor and ballistic shields down the hallway from the classroom where this maniac, this demon, was systematically murdering children. They're just hanging out down the hallway, sitting there having a circle jerk, right? And again, they're right down the hallway from where this is happening. So they hear the gunshots, they hear the screams. They might be able to be just hear the brain spattering against the walls, right? But they're just sitting there, just chilling, waiting on this next thing. Oh, uh, we got to wait for more ballistic shields and we have to wait for more people with body armor and we have to wait for SWAT and we have to wait for Jesus and we got to wait for all the, oh, let's just make up stuff that we got to wait for. Were y'all ordering sandwiches? Were you waiting on refreshments as well? They're just sitting there chilling. Absolutely and completely unforgivable. But McGraw wasn't done. McGraw continued by his comments by saying, quote, the officers had weapons. They had body armor. The children had none, unquote. And so Basically, everything that we were told from the beginning was a lie. But if the shooter was the main villain, we have found the next in line, the vice villain. So this is Uvalde CISD Police Chief Pete Arredondo. So he showed up. So he's the guy that is in charge of school safety. That is his main job. This guy is also, I found out, on the uh, city council of the city of Uvalde. And one of the ways that he got elected was because he's like, we got to keep our citizens safe no matter what the cost. That's this guy. That's how he got elected. But this dope showed up at Robb Elementary School without his radio at 11.35 a.m., okay? So you can go back to the timeline I talked about in a previous episode. So he shows up somewhat late to this entire process and without his radio. So as a quick aside, as the main guy in charge, it may not seem like a big deal to leave your radio, but he leaves behind a commander's greatest weapon in a situation like that. And that is a way to directly communicate with his officers. Oh, he just kind of got flustered and left in a hurry and left his damn radio sitting there on the desk. So at that time where this dope shows up again, I'll keep using his name, uh, you know, police chief Pete Arredondo. This is his job, right? He shows up. There were at least two responding officers who were already moving into the hallway outside the classroom door where the shooter was located. There were two officers that were ready to get some as far as we know. But Arredondo decided it would be a great use of his time to say, hey, everybody pause. He decided to use his time and energy to grab a cell phone because he didn't have his radio because he's an idiot to call the police department to ask for his radio. Hey, can you guys bring me my radio? Also to ask for a rifle and to ask for heavily armed backup. He pauses what was going on so that he could get his sh- so that he could get his stuff together. OK, right. <laughs> Just astonishing. And this is according to the New York Times, quote, the decision to establish a perimeter outside the classroom a little over five minutes after the shooting began shifted the police response from one in which every officer would try to confront the gunman as fast as possible to one where officers treated the gunman as a bear as barricaded and no longer killing. 
Instead of storming the classroom, a decision was made to deploy a negotiator and to muster a more heavily armed and shielded tactical entry force, unquote. I mean, again, there are no words. I'm, I'm finding uh, it to be it, difficult to continue because of how sheer, the sheer stupidity of this. And again, I could be armchair quarterback and, oh, Kyle, you weren't there. And, oh, you're not a law enforcement officer. So what would you know? Does this take rocket science? Does this take 30 years of military or law enforcement experience to understand the tactical disadvantage you put the children at that are in the classroom being killed? When you say, yeah, just don't go in there. We don't have enough gear yet. These guys had enough gear to begin with. Immediately when the bullets started flying, even before the bullets started flying, they could have ended this threat. This could have been a non-issue. This could have been a story the world never heard about because this guy could have been taken out immediately. But Arredondo decided, no, 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 no. We got to treat this guy like he's a terrorist that has a bunch of hostages, hostages that is willing to negotiate. Because in those situations, especially when you bring in a negotiator, I do know a little bit about this. As soon as bullets start flying, as soon as throats start getting cut, as soon as heads start getting chopped off, at that point, we don't use the negotiator anymore. We don't need the negotiator anymore in that exact situation. We need to go take out the demon. But not, oh, Arredondo, he needed more time. Because another thing we found out is that this unbelievable jerk-off waited 40 minutes. Again, children are being systematically murdered at this time. He waited 40 minutes before requesting a master key to get into the classroom. So he's on site, and for 40 minutes, he's standing there with his thumb up his butt, wondering, oh, I don't know what I need to do next. Next, Like, what, you know, what do we do? It's, it's, I'm completely flummoxed. I have no idea. And then 40 minutes in, he thinks to himself, Oh, you know, uh, you know what would be a really good idea? Uh, it'd be really cool if somebody could bring us a master key so we can get into the room. That's unlocked. Like, at, at what point do you look at the situation and look at this man's response and think, yeah, that was the right call? From soup to nuts, from beginning to end, it was wrong call after wrong call after wrong call by this guy. Okay? Now. Before we get into my overall thoughts, obviously we know this and I admitted it on the, the previous podcast that I did on this. Surely as time goes on, more and more will come out about this. And there's a lot of things that, that we need to get into and there's a lot of unanswered questions, but I'll give you some of my overall thoughts. So obviously, the most obvious thing I could possibly say on the show, this was a complete failure by Uvalde PD from top to bottom. Complete failure. Okay. The, the law enforcement officers were not trained thoroughly. The officials didn't have the requisite amount of leadership and discernment and training to do the things that they needed to do. They failed that community. They failed those 19 kids. They failed those two adults. They failed the husband of one of the teachers that died of a heart attack two days later. And they failed the body count, which will continue to rise because of kids and parents in that community that will take their own lives or do something crazy to ruin their lives because of what happened on that day. Complete failure. Also, Uvalde police administrators and officials and law enforcement officers, they clearly lied to cover their butts. Because if you look at what the governor did, you know, when the governor and the mayor Uvalde came out like a day after, or maybe even been the day of whenever Beto O'Rourke went up there and stormed the press conference and all those different things, what they said in that press conference was basically debunked 24 hours later. And, you know, Governor Greg Abbott came out immediately and said, hey, I gave you what I was told by the administrators and officials that were on the ground, and this was wrong, and I was clearly lied to. And here we are a month later, and the lies seem to have gotten more pervasive. And obviously, these people were trying to CYA. 
They were trying to just take care of their own uh, business. Uh, you know, we even have uh, this police chief guy, uh, Pete Arredondo. He asked for like a leave of absence. Of all the times on the planet when you are most needed, if you are an actual leader and administrator in that school district charged with keeping these people safe, of all the times to be there, it's right now and you ask for a vacation? So let's talk a little bit more about Uvalde CISD Police Chief Pete Arredondo. Not only does he need to be fired, he doesn't need to be given a chance to resign. No, 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 no. Not only does he need to be fired, he needs to go to prison. Now, I don't know enough about the laws in that area or what this man could potentially be charged with, but there's got to be some sort of a criminal criminal negligence that we see here. And I know police officers have a, have a special you know immunity against being able to be sued by by the populace in general. I think that is a great idea because of how hard their job is. You know, you shouldn't be able to sue that individual officer that makes a mistake. That's why people can sue the actual police department. But the Evaldi Police Department is is going to be in ruins because those officers have got to go. This guy's got to go. There has to be a complete revolution there. But here's the thing. I feel bad for the citizens of Uvalde because the people that like what's happening right now the most are the criminals that are in that community, in and around that community, because they know the police force is going to be more sheepish than they've ever been in their entire lives. You would think they would overreact and start to be become like super police because they were a bunch of you know cowardly fools. But no, I feel like we're, it's going to go in the opposite direction. These guys are going to be really, really gun shy. They, you know, the world is looking at Uvalde, Texas for the first time in the history of that city, right? What has come out of Uvalde since, like before this? Like what news came out of that community? Now all of a sudden everybody's paying attention. So if a police officer runs into a person of color and something happens and that person ends up dead, whoop, here's Uvalde again. That's going to be the, you know, the Chiron that runs across CNN. Oh, you know, another person killed in Uvalde, Texas. That's how we're always going to know this community, right? But as much as I think that's a good idea to where you can't individually sue or, or take action against an individual person, it would be an unbelievable miscarriage of justice if Pete Arredondo is able to keep his job and keep his freedom. Because that blood, again, the shooter is the main person responsible for this. He's the main villain. Pete Arredondo is the secondary villain. Absolutely. You know, on this next one, you know, I actually struggle with this uh, a little bit, but I think that the officers on site that chose not to ignore Arredondo's instructions you know, the officers that didn't immediately go in and try to take out the threat, they should be fired as well. I'm sorry. I think a lot of this is on the shoulders of Arredondo. Like, his leadership was obviously an abject failure, but he's not the only one responsible for this. And the shooter as well. There were also people on the ground that need to be dealt with. Because the police officers that were there, especially the ones that responded immediately, they could have ignored those orders. Okay? And again, I don't know a lot about the chain of command because I've never been a law enforcement officer. All right. So again, I'm not pretending as if I know these things because I'm some sort of a genius. I'm respectful of the things that I don't know of my own personal ignorance. But you would think in those scenarios that that would be a great time to ignore what some bonehead on the radio or sorry, on his cell phone because he didn't even have his damn radio, but ignore what that guy is saying because you hear what's happening in the room. But I don't pretend your radio wasn't on. You just do whatever you need to do. They had ballistic shields. They had one that was there almost immediately. And these people had body armor and they heard what was happening inside that room. It is incumbent upon them as the job that they've signed up to do to potentially put their lives on the line to protect the citizenry of the, the county or the city or the municipality that they are representing, especially when it's children that are being murdered. Because again, I get it. This idea that, hey, it was going to be really, really dangerous for the officers and we may have lost officers that day. 
But instead of losing an officer and a bad guy, we lost 19 kids and two teachers. Again, you might look at that as a disparity. We don't know that for sure. You're right. We don't know that. Because what could have happened is we could have lost zero officers, zero kids, zero teachers, and one demonic piece of garbage. That was the likely scenario, especially because they had the jump on them. They were, they were in there almost immediately before he had started systematically shooting anyone other than his grandmother that he had shot previous to even showing up on the grounds of Rob Elementary School. Okay? So again, I struggle with that. But those guys, if they could not discern in that moment that there was a bad order coming from their boss... And they sat there with that. Not only are they going to have to live with that guilt for the rest of their lives, they should have to live with that guilt while working another job. Okay. Next thing. Some of this situation can be chalked up to bad leadership. Obviously we can see that. Some of this can be chalked up to, you know, bad or non-existent training. It was obvious that these people were not well-trained, but some of this can also be chalked up to a wicked amount of cowardice, a wicked, wicked amount of cowardice. Okay. Because there's a lack of, of bravery and leadership and, and just overall, uh, you know, gusto in our society. It's, it's almost endemic in our society. And this situation just gave us another example of the deadly ramifications of that. Because again, there was cowardice in this situation, the officers on the ground and the leadership on the ground. There was cowardice before the situation, the people that maybe didn't want to say anything about this shooter that was a little bit weird that did all these crazy things because, you know, they didn't want to get the kid in trouble and he hadn't done anything that bad yet. And yeah, I know he kills kitties and puts them in bags and posts pictures that I had online. But, you know, that's not always indicative of someone that's going to murder a bunch of people like we don't want to do that. We're so scared, especially in this modern era where we've created a protected class out of LGBTQ plus yada, 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 yada. Like we've, we've created that. So if the kid has a queer identity and you say anything about them, you're all of a sudden a queerophobe or whatever the new word or tangible meaning for that is now, especially in the month of June, we can't say crap like that. And this unbelievable societal cowardice is why we're sitting in the situation we're in right now. But as I talked about on episode 315 that I released on June 2nd, I listed, and this was just kind of an aside, you know, in, in terms of all the other stuff that we went into, a very, very important episode. But there, I talked about that there were, there were questions that we needed to have answers to, okay? And there's a lot of questions that we still don't have answers to, even a month later. Basically, one question on my list had been answered, and I've added another one. So here are things that we still need answers on. Number one, who is the teacher that propped the door of the school open, allowing unimpeded access to the school for the shooter? Who is this person? Do we even know this person's name? As of right now, we do not. Number two, do we know why she propped the door open to begin with? We're assuming she just ran out to her car to get something real quick, but we don't know that. We need to know that. The third question I ask is, do we know why she propped the door open literally one minute prior to the shooter crashing into the ditch right by the school? One minute. Shocking how convenient that was. The fourth question, why was the school resource officer not on campus when the shooter arrived? Like, as of right now, I'm pretty sure we still don't even know what the school resource officer's name is, but where was he? What was he doing? The fifth question I had is, why did the Uvalde School District Police Chief in charge, Arredondo, tell officers to treat the situation as a barricaded subject situation and order them not to breach the room until they could organize a response as opposed to just following the school district's protocol to immediately engage any school shooter? We still don't have an answer from Arredondo as to why he did that. Okay? That stinks to high heaven. 
The sixth question, this is the only one that we got an answer to, is why did the cops on the scene have to wait for a key? Lo and behold, they didn't have to wait for a key. The seventh question I ask is, how did an 18-year-old that doesn't come from a family of means have enough money to buy two AR-15s, two Daniel Defense AR-15s, which were like five grand, hundreds of rounds of ammunition, a pistol, and body armor? Okay? Again, this killer worked at Wendy's, but he had been unemployed for over a year, and yet he had all this money to buy all this stuff, right? Like, why did he have this money? Where did the money come from? Also, the timing stinks. I talked about this. I talked about the Democrats still, uh, here we are a month later, they still look like they're in a bad spot for the midterms. You know, um, record high gas prices have gotten even higher. Inflation has gotten even higher. You know, everyone's basically realizing we're living in the middle of a recession, even though it can't technically be called a recession yet because we haven't had two consecutive quarters reported of a shrinking economy and his approval ratings are getting even lower. So the the timing of this really, really stinks. We need to have an answer to, you know, why did this happen? When it happened? But the new question I have that I want to add to that list of questions that we didn't get answers to aside from one is why are they planning to demolish the school? I just saw today, this morning, a news report that they're planning to demolish the school, which if you're a normal person that doesn't look into things, it makes perfect sense. You can't possibly put children back in that school ever again. I get it. But they're going to be demolishing it pretty quickly. Along with the building being taken away, so is all the evidence of what happened there that day. And if you have faith in the Uvalde Police Department that they're going to get this squared away and and make sure that the evidence is taken into consideration, that everything is done properly and, and, you know, basically doing their jobs, getting the, the requisite stuff to, you know, the right lab and all these different things and getting the evidence in the right boxes, you're fooling yourself. How can we assume that anyone else in that department or anyone that has any tendrils that touch that department is going to do their job correctly? We can't. We can't have that. We still need answers to all those questions. But before we move on to the quick hitters, I'm going to go back to the scripture I used from the very beginning, and and that's the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's Proverbs 28.1. Now, this scripture, the context of this is mainly talking about a guilty conscience, right? So when you have a guilty conscience, you'll run away from a situation, right? It almost reminds me of what happened in Ireland whenever they basically approved for baby murder to be legal in the country of Ireland. It was because the Catholic church was so guilty and had such a guilty conscience over the fact that they systematically raped boys and just moved them all around the world, especially in the country or not especially, but including the country of Ireland to where they felt like they had no moral fortitude with which to stand on. They had no basis with which to tell people what they should do morally. Hey, you probably shouldn't kill kids. It's like, Hey, don't you rape kids? It's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll go back over here now. So That's basically the context of it. That's what it reminds me of, but it applies to this situation because in these moments, something wicked and evil was happening and these men weren't bold. They didn't boldly make the decisions or pronouncements they needed to in order to preserve life. And as we know as Christians, the Imago Dei, the image of God, image bearers of God are the most important thing in all of creation. More important than your favorite technology, more important than your favorite pet, more important than your favorite mountain to visit. The Imago Dei. Image bearers of Christ are the most important thing. And unfortunately, a lot of those image bearers were taken out that day. All right, we're going to get to the quick hitters. And I'm getting into this habit now where I'm so mad and so angry. By the time I get to the quick hitters and there's something funny I need to talk about, it's like I'm not in the right mind space, but we're going to go ahead and plug through. The first thing we need to talk about is co-president Biden falling off of his bike while he wasn't moving. That's a real thing that happened. So this is according to NPR. President Biden fell when he tried to get off his bike at the end of a ride Saturday. This is last Saturday at Cape. 
Henlopin, I don't know, Cape Henlopin State Park in Delaware near his beach home, uh, but he wasn't hurt in the tumble. I'm good, he told reporters after the U.S. Secret Service agents quickly helped him up. I've, my, I got my foot caught in the tow cages. Biden, 79 years old, the first lady, or sorry, here we go. Biden, 79, and the first lady, Jill Biden, were wrapping up a morning ride when the president decided to pedal over to a crowd of well-wishers standing by the bike trail. Biden, who was wearing a helmet, took the spill when he tried to dismount. When he tried to dismount, apparently falling on his right side and rolling to his back before being helped up. All right. Now I'll be honest with you guys. When I first heard about this story, I totally thought he fell off the bike while he was riding it, which would be a surprise to nobody when somebody that's almost 80 years old, an octogenarian falls off a bike. You might ask the question, why is an octogenarian on a bike? Fair question. But him falling off of a moving bike would have been hilarious enough, but it's even more hilarious that he fell off while he wasn't moving. The fact that he was basically stationary, that he was standing there. And here's the thing, guys, I've fallen off a bike before, right? You know, if you've got, you know, a a toe clip pedals or something like that, which it doesn't seem like he had clippy pedals on. It just seemed like there was like a little holder for his foot. Like, yeah, you can kind of lose your balance a little bit or get caught where you have to catch yourself. But that was the thing is as soon as he realized that his right foot didn't go where it needed to go, his body and his brain had no ability to stop him from just tipping over. He tipped over, right? More than he fell over. He just kind of, oh, oh, what's ha- happened? Oh, I'm on, I'm on the ground now. And, and you know, you dog face pony soldier. And how'd I end up here? How'd I, how'd I be? Like hilarious. It's still hilarious. And guys, here's the thing. It will 100% always be funny when people fall down and they're not actually hurt. Right. That will always be funny because there's a lot of people right now saying, hey, you shouldn't really laugh at this. This is an old guy. He could have really gotten hurt and all that. Yeah, but but he didn't get hurt. So it's really funny. You could be two years old or you can be a thousand years old like co-president Biden, and it will still be funny when you fall over. But perhaps the funniest thing about all of this, and this is just delicious, was that this bike ride and this photo op and the videos of all that, that was supposed to be the Biden administration's attempt to show that Biden isn't an addled old coot, but that he was a spry guy for his age and he was ready for his reelection campaign and he's ready to take on Putin. And he's ready to take on the high gas prices and la la. And then the dude just falls over. Hilarious. It'll never not be hilarious. And the Republicans, if they're smart, which, you know, who the heck knows nowadays, but if they're smart, they're going to use that in their campaign ads, which people are like, oh, that's unfair. And that's whatever. It's like Democrats used Donald Trump slipping on a wet set of stairs and not even falling down, getting out of Air Force One as like, oh, you know, the, he barely has his balance Is a guy, you know, going to go crazy and shoot a nuke off somewhere. Right. So if you're thinking that, then obviously you have to look at this like the guy can't even stand on his own two feet. But here's the big takeaway with all the quick hitters. I do some sort of a big takeaway. Here's my big takeaway on this. Everything is fine, guys. There's nothing to see here. This is totally normal behavior. When he can't seem to get a full sentence out without stammering, it's because he had a stutter growing up, you see. Right. It's not because he's got dementia. It's not that. No, 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 no. Come on. It couldn't be that. Don't be so crazy. Right. The fact that he's 79, that doesn't even matter. That doesn't even matter. The fact that he's older than Ronald Reagan was when Ronald Reagan left office and everyone was worried about Reagan being too old. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because he's just good old Joe. He wears his aviators. He likes ice cream. He likes sniffing people's hair, especially little girl's hair. There's nothing to see here. Don't you wish that, that this guy could just stay in office forever. I mean, certainly he deserves another four years after his first term's done, right? Because 
there might be someone that comes in that that says mean things on on Twitter. Or there might be someone that comes in that's a little bit younger, that has, you know, a little bit less experience in the federal swamp and maybe is running a state really, really well. God, we can't have that. No matter what, we have to protect Joe Biden at all costs. And I'm not going to hear any different. All right, let's get to the next quick hitter here. Why Pixar's new Toy Story Universe film Lightyear flopped at the box office? So this is according to Frank Pelota at CNN Business. Lightyear wasn't able to get enough buzz at the box office this weekend. The latest film from Disney Pixar, which features the voice work of Chris Evans as Buzz Lightyear, opened to an estimated $51 million at the North American box office this weekend. That number came in way under industry expectations, which projected the film to make around $70 million. The movie took in $85.6 million worldwide, according to Disney. The film also failed to grab the top spot at the box office, opening at number two behind the second weekend of Universal's Jurassic World Dominion, which made an estimated $58.6 million. So there's been a lot that's made about this. A lot of people are talking about it. Again, it may not seem crazy like, oh, they made $50 million bucks in, in the domestic box, box office. That's fine. But it was so much farther under any of the other offerings that we've gotten from Pixar, even like Cars 3, which is a film that I think no one actually ended up seeing. That outdid this film in the first week. And from what I hear, I don't really watch the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World films. The first one's amazing and it stands up great, but I don't really watch those. Apparently, it's not even good. The new Jurassic World was number two, and this new film barely beat out Top Gun Maverick, right? Now, there are a lot of reasons that are being floated for why this happened. So here are some potential reasons. The first one is that people are tired of the Toy Story franchise, okay? Now, I don't really buy into this one that much because you can rinse and repeat everything. Look at what Marvel is doing. When is the last time there was an actual good Marvel comic book movie? In my opinion, there's never been one because it's the same story rinsed, repeated over and over and over with different characters and different special effects. Half of the time don't even look good, right? It's the same thing over and over. But Toy Story is one of the most successful franchises in the history of film. So to pretend as if, you know, parents that want to go see these films with their kids because they grew up watching Toy Story 1 and 2 and all those different things that all of a sudden they're over it. Yeah, I don't buy that. There's also people talking about, you know, that people really aren't into prequels, which there's something to that because I don't know of off the top of my head of a single prequel movie or series that outdid the main one. I, I can't really see that. I don't really know that. So that's a potential reason. Also, Tim Allen wasn't a part of the project. So uh, Chris Evans was cast to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear. Some people think that was because Tim Allen's, you know, an outward conservative now and different things like that. Some people are like, well, he couldn't be the voice of the toy and the real guy and all these different things. So they put Chris Evans in. But here's the thing about it is, is there a less interesting actor in existence than Chris Evans? I mean, I can't think of a single role, including him being Captain America, where he was an interesting person. Right. So for those universe, for those Marvel universe films that I've seen where, you know, Captain America's in it, I'm like, how, how is Chris Evans the guy? How is he Captain America? That makes no, Chris Pratt would be a much better Captain America, but then he was, you know, put in this other role. Like I, I don't even know his name because that movie sucked too, but he's just such an unbelievably untalented actor in my opinion, but he just keeps getting these enormous roles. But those are some potential reasons for the flop, but we need to get into the likely reasons for the flop here. The first likely reason is that parents don't want LGBTQ plus nonsense shoved down their kids' throats, okay? Because everything about this movie hinged on a single scene, which really had nothing to do with the plot at all, but it had to do with a lesbian kiss scene, okay? So there, there was two lesbian parents, there was a kiss scene. So in the kiss scene, this was used, and this will kind of go into my next reason for why this is happening. 
why this is likely likely flopped is that the lesbian kiss scene was being used as a political cudgel in the culture war so clearly okay because they originally did the lesbian kiss scene and then they decided against putting it in the film they took it out because it was literally useless to the storyline then disney pixar you know, the company that has a not-so-secret gay agenda, according to their own employees, they decided to put the scene back in the film because of Florida's parental rights and education legislation, otherwise known stupidly as the Don't Say Gay Bill, right? And interestingly, when they decided to put this back in to, you know, show, you know, Governor DeSantis who's boss or whatever the thing is, they decided, well, actually, there were 14 different Asian and Middle Eastern countries that decided to ban the film. What unbelievable bigots. What's wrong with you guys? Why don't you just want to see this lesbian kiss scene, you crazy people? Also, another reason why this likely flopped is because conservative parents aren't interested in Hollywood blocks of wood like Chris Evans lecturing them about they would sh- what they should think or feel or believe about a certain topic. So there was a lot of drama because, again, the selling point of this entire film in the media was it's got a lesbian kiss and you're supposed to like it, right? So with all the drama, you know, Evans was asked about this in an interview and he said this, quote, the real truth is those people are idiots. There's always going to be people who are uh, afraid and trying to hold on to what there was before. But those people die off like dinosaurs. Okay, unquote. So here's the deal. This guy thinks he's better than you. Like, obviously, this LGBTQ stuff is fine. It's good for your kids. If you don't believe so, it's just because you're a bigoted dinosaur. Don't you understand that? Chris Evans is so much smarter than you, right? But here's the big takeaway on all this. Go woke, go broke, y'all. And we need more of this. So as a conservative parent, right, you don't need to have Disney+. Plus. There are other ways to entertain your kid. You don't need to go and see films where the people that are creating these films are doing things because they hate you. Like, they're not putting this in the film because they want you to not notice, to pretend as if it's normal. This isn't normal. And two mommies is not normal. And it's not good for children. I know that's probably going to get me in trouble. But the entire plan, even if outside of the Christian realm, for all mammalian history, is mother, father, offspring. Okay? Especially with us, which people think we're just highly evolved chimps, right? It's mother, father, offspring. Okay? Not two mommies, not two daddies, not two daddies and a mommy or any of those types of things that we're seeing nowadays. That is the structure. That is the scaffolding for a successful, successful and loving household and for the, the rearing of good, positive children that will be a benefit to society. Okay? So don't allow these entities to pretend like this is normal. Okay? All right, next quick hitter here. The world's governing body for the sport of swimming bans biological males from competing against biological females, or did they? So this is according to ESPN. I never quoted them, I don't think, on this show, but here we go. Swimming world's governing body, FINA, on Sunday vetoed, this was last Sunday, vetoed to restrict the participation of transgender athletes in elite women's competitions and create a working group to establish an open category for them in some events as part of its new policy. The new policy, which takes effect Monday, will require transgender competitors to have completed their transition by the age of 12 to be able to compete in women's competitions. The working group will spend the next six months to determine how to set up the new category FINA FINA said. The regulations would have a major impact on the career of Leah Thomas, who earlier this year became the first openly transgender woman to win the NCAA Division I women's swimming title. Responding to the new policy, she said the new FINA release is deeply upsetting. It is discriminatory and will only serve to harm all women. Now, spoken like a true woman, Leah Thomas is sitting there pissing and moaning, complaining about something that's not even real. So the thing about it is, is according to Leah Thomas, again, a dude, 
You can damage women somehow by keeping biological males out of the pools and locker rooms of women's sports. That's going to harm all women, a women, according to, you know, King Twig and Berries, Leah Thomas, right? Now, as soon as this broke and everybody's initial reaction was, is this seems like a win for sanity. Okay. It really did seem that way. And it might end up being that way, but, but I do have some doubts because when you look at the headline, it seems great. But then when you dig into the actual thing that's being said, it, it, there creates a lot more doubts because the easy thing to see here is that this sets up governments and sports governing bodies to encourage gender transition before the age of 12 because duh and i and major air quotes with gender transition because that's not a real thing okay but if you're a governing body for a sport like swimming where a male can very easily dominate females as we saw with leah thomas in you know his year his senior year over there at whatever stool pin that he was swimming for if you're saying to people, yeah, yeah, that's we're not really going to allow for someone to go through all of puberty and then basically be a 21-year-old and say, hey, I'm a chick. I'd like some gold medals, please. As long as all this transition happens completely before the age of 12, it's going to be fine. So for these governing bodies to pretend like that's not going to encourage parents and children to quote-unquote transition their children before the age of 12, it's crazy. Of course, that's what they're going to do. Of course. And again, just even the language of this ESPN article, which they're, you know, woke sports. And so obviously they kept referring to Leah Thomas as she, and as the first woman to win and all these different things. But the other thing is treating as if this transgender category is, is like a nonsense. It's like, oh, there shouldn't be this open division because you know, that that's, you know, somehow damaging to this women. That was, if you read the entire, entire article, which I'll put in the show notes, you can obviously sit there and think like, oh, okay. ESPN is trying to tell us that this is a bad thing. They're trying to encourage us to believe that this is a bad thing, but this is our big takeaway on, on this one because. More of this stuff is going to come up, but when you have governing bodies, well, actually before the big takeaway, when you have governing bodies like this, like FINA saying things like this, that seems like it's reasonable, but actually isn't, that's, that's actually very damaging because they're trying to like pussyfoot right now. Now, you know, pun intended Leah Thomas, but they're trying to like, just barely say, Hey, okay, we know there's an inequity here, but we don't exactly know how to deal with it with the new language we're supposed to use. It's the month of June and we don't want anyone to seem like they're targeted. So, okay, we'll do this. But then they're going to spend the next six months trying to figure out what to do going forward and all these other different things. What you need is a governing body, a universal governing body for a sport to say, Hey, you will compete in the division that aligns with your gender. That was apparent at birth not assigned at birth, but your biological gender. So if you're biologically male, you will compete against the males. And if you don't want to, then don't compete. No one is forcing you to compete. Okay. I mean, here's the big takeaway. We can't take our foot off the gas with this issue. Now, most of us don't have any connection to FINA or any of those types of things, but we do have a connection to our local school board, to our, our local schools where our kids attend. And if there's nonsense like this happening in your community, you need to be loud about it, especially if you have daughters that are athletes. Because you, th this affects you financially because women's sports, there aren't a whole lot of great female athletes out, out there that are, you know, going in, in on the collegiate side of things and, and ended up doing big things. Like we don't really see that. And so, especially like I've talked to people who have daughters that are good golfers and there is a dearth of good female golfers in college. Right. And so as, as a parent, you're sitting here trying to, you know, save six figures worth of money to send your kid to college eventually someday, which maybe you shouldn't do that, but you're, you're trying to do that. And that money could just be wiped out completely. You know, you're needing to use that money. If your kid gets a scholarship for golf or volleyball or track and field or softball or something like that. And it's like, that makes a big difference. But if all of a sudden 
you know, y- your girl's a, a golfer, but there's a 16 year old kid with a chin strap beard that says, ah, I'm feeling real chicky these days. And all of a sudden he's obliterating the competition, you know, teeing off from the women's tees. Like, and that's not going to have an impact on you. So don't be quiet and don't be like accepting and be like, oh, this is no big deal. And, you know, we'll get there eventually. And, you know, we just got to be nice. And no, 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 no. The nice and right and polite thing to do is say, sir, go compete against the boys because you are one. Stop trying to come over here and compete against my daughters. We're not going to stand for it. And when people start yelling with a rainbow flag and doing all that crazy stuff and threatening to, you know, end your life on Twitter and all that stuff, just deal with it. Just deal with it and move forward. All right, last one here. There were some others that I wanted to get to, but we don't really have time today. So we'll end with this one. The World Health Organization decided to investigate whether COVID-19 escaped from a lab in Wuhan, China, albeit about two years too late. So this is according to Nathan Wexel over at the Hill or Nathaniel Wexel over at the Hill. The possibility that the coronavirus could have escaped from a lab warrants further investigations, a group of World Health Organization scientists said in a report released this Thursday. This actually would have been last Thursday. However, the preliminary report from the scientists investigating the origins of the coronavirus and other novel pathogens noted that the group had not been provided any new data to evaluate the laboratory leak possibility as a pathway of SARS-CoV-2 into the human population. The report said all currently available data suggests SARS-CoV-2 originated in animals, with the closest genetically related viruses identified in bats in China in 2013 and Laos in 2020. However, researchers said that the missing data means that they were not able to identify the animal that infected humans, nor the location where the infection could have occurred. Maybe because it didn't occur there. So so that's the update or whatever. So it only took, guys, guys, the, the World Health Organization, they definitely have you in mind. They definitely have your best interest at heart, right? It only took them two years to signal that this maybe kind of probably sort of likely didn't have anything to do with a Chinese person eating a pangolin or a bat. It only took them two years. Guys like they've, they, they care about you. They care about the world. They're the world health organization. After all, it couldn't possibly be that they don't actually care about you, that they just care about money and protecting the countries that make them lots of money like China that has nothing to do with it. Right? So to all the the people that are listening to this episode right now, trying to dock it and make it to where people can't even search for it, like, I agree, the World Health Organization cares about us. Also, the Chinese government, the great and altruistic Chinese communist government, they will never go along with a full investigation. So this headline, at first I was like, oh, this is great. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is nothing. You think the Chinese government is going to be like, yes, please investigating international body, come on into all of our labs and make sure that we didn't release this on the population and kill millions and millions of people and destroy the world economy and get Joe Biden elected. Yeah, 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 sure. Come on in. You know, here's some, here's some extra legal pads and a few extra pins. You know, we'll, we'll be here to help you in any way that we can. It's nonsense. Also, all of this, again, this sounds real conspiratorial, but all this is a setup for the next pandemic. Again, I'm not as concerned about what they were able to do, the governing bodies and the powers that be and all of our moral betters that are in the government. I'm not as concerned about what they did this time. I'm concerned about what they're going to do next time. Because as I told you, and be paying attention this, this fall and this winter, this was not a bad thing for kids. It's not worse than the flu. The flu is actually more deadly than COVID-19 is, right? We've seen that now. If there's a bad flu this, this winter, expect things to shut down again. Because again, You were called crazy if it was like, hey, did you take your kids out of school or did you force all the kids to mask up because there was a little bit of a flu going around? No, no reasonable person would ever do that because we have to live our lives. But we're using 
the jumping off point for the next pandemic to be the response to this pandemic. That's going to be the jumping off point. We're not going to be starting from neutral, from zero, not at all. And here's the big takeaway on this one. We will all be dead by the time the truth behind COVID-19 and the entire pandemic and all this vaccine nonsense is ever fully known. We'll all be long gone, right? It'll be one of those things that, oh, can you believe that actually happened back in the day? That's crazy. I can't believe that. I'm glad it didn't happen to us. But here's the thing. We probably won't ever fully know what actually happened because there are a lot of people, there are billions and billions upon billions of dollars and tens of thousands of people that are incentivized to make sure that we don't learn the truth of the origins of COVID-19, of how it got out, about how it spread, about when the vaccine was started, about all the stuff, about a pandemic that led to what we exactly saw in 2020 and into today, the nonsense we're seeing now about the federal government trying to make sure that your infant gets a COVID vaccine, right? When sainted Dr. Fauci even gets infected with COVID, no big deal if he hadn't had his 17 you know, shots before then, like he probably would be dead today. All this stuff is part of a larger story and a larger narrative that we will never be privy to. So for us, we just have to do our best to live our lives. And the next time the government tries to do this, maybe to realize they aren't as altruistic as they seem. And perhaps we should push back a little bit. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost out on Daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the links I've got for you today are all the links to the stories that I talked about in the quick hitters. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.